Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Yeah, that's me. Here along with Carrie Haskell, welcome into Downtown, the podcast. Big round number, episode number 250 this week. We're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Two mighty fine conversations for you on this week's show. Coming up in the second half, we talk with Ricky Cobb, the man behind Super 70 Sports, about uh, his new show in conjunction with Jimmy Kimmel's production company. Up first, though, one of the funniest people around, founding member of the Kids in the Hall that produced uh, a great new season of episodes last year. He's out on the road with his one-man show, Tales of Bravery and Stupidity. And it comes to the Wilbur Theater on the 16th of March. Other dates coming down the road as well. We had a blast once again catching up with Bruce McCullough here on Downtown. Very nice to have you back with us. You were, I was looking back, you were just on with us uh, uh, back in June of last year. So I, I feel like we're, we're like one visit away from sharing with you the secret handshake. I know. Um, and the secret handshake, of course, is us kissing on the lips, which seems too much for a happily married man. Well, I'm not going to judge, but again, that, that only comes with a third appearance here. So excited your show is coming to uh, New England, the, the Wilbur in Boston on March 16th, Tales of Bravery and Stupidity. And so I ask you, Bruce McCullough, is there a fine line between bravery and stupidity? Well, I, I tap dance on that line all the time, and I think we all do, which is kind of the belly of this show, which is, the things we do to entertain ourselves and get ourselves in and out of trouble and keep our lives interesting, you know? How much humor is there, that, because you you and, and the kids as well have tapped into it a lot, uh, how much humor is out there in our admitted lack of control over the world? Well, that is true. When we realize it's all chaos theory, then I think we're <laughs> that we're just leaves going down the river, that uh, life is a little bit better. But, of course, all we want to do is know what's going to happen and, and try to control things, and, of course, we can't. So how do you build a one-man show? Do you, do you put together maybe the opening and, and the finale first and then sort of figure out what goes in the middle? How does it work for you? Well, somebody said that this show is like a magic trick. It starts like a, a great stand-up show and then turns into a theater show and gets a bit more serious as we go. So this is, you know, this is stories of my life and some music. And then it really is about kind of what we've been through in the last a thousand days and our human connectedness. But it's also quite funny. And some people say it's touching. I'm not going to say it's touching. Um, but, yeah, no, that's the fun of it. And with this, you know, I I workshopped it uh, in off-Broadway. And now I'm bringing it to Boston, which is people usually do it the other way around. Does the show continue to evolve? Absolutely. Every time I do it, it's different because something in my life has changed or something in the world has changed. Sort of the pieces and the bones of it are the same. But I also, you know, like to respond to what's going on in the audience that night, how I feel. I go on flights of fancy sometimes <laughs> and the stage manager says, wow, you really went off tonight, um, which is theoretically some of the, the fun of it. Yeah, you have always, always celebrated outsiders. And, and I feel like you know, the last thousand days we've all in a sense become outsiders is, is it made it easier for people to, uh, to empathize and, and to feel for their fellow man, or have we grown further apart in this time? 
Well, that's a great question. I think it's actually both. I think at first during COVID, we were sort of all in this together. And then now that we're out, we're sort of in this together, but we're sort of on our own. So I think there's kind of a new question in our human brains about um, what's next. And I think we're more tender and wounded. And of course, what I've always used, which is at the sort of at the belly of the show, is that we use gallows humor to get through this life mm. and certainly through this time. And, and I think what, what you do so well, and I think the best comedians and writers do, is you, you punch up. You don't punch down. And I, I, I still find that that's, that's the best humor because we can all relate to it. Yeah. And, of course, with this, at the center of it is the silly um, stuff that I have done. And I, <laughs> in all my stories, I'm usually the guy who's had a couple gins who's talking to the bank teller <laughs> and makes me fool of myself. Uh, it's not the bank teller. So um, that's just been, you know, we've always and I've always celebrated the weird little people of which I am one. And so I think that hopefully shows in uh, my work. Bruce, do you see any regional differences in audiences as you travel around? Not really. I mean, I think the weirdos who have always liked my voice and the kids in the hall or my records or whatever um, are kind of very similar from city to city, be it, you know, Boston, you know, or Portland. And there's just a bunch of people and we started realizing now when we toured around, oh, my God, there's a lot of people who look similar in different cities and who are kind of not exactly the same person, but the same kind of people with their worldviews. We're talking with Bruce McCullough here on Downtown. I, I found out recently that you uh, you work as a college instructor uh, in, in the field of comedy. It's, is that at uh, Humber College? Yeah, and I actually found a troupe there, um, an amazing troupe called Tall Boys, which, and I've... Uh, ET'd and directed a series which is on Fuse now called Tall Boys, which is a great modern sketch show. So that's, uh, look for that. Yeah, and uh, doing well. Was it four seasons in the books now with Tall Boys? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And we use a lot of modern culture, and they're discussing race because they're all uh, non-white, and it's a really, really fantastic show. I've heard you say in an interview that in working with them, they're a lot nicer to each other than you guys were when you started. Oh, you know, I, no one taught me that you weren't supposed to yell to get your way when you're 22. <laughs> and, of course, times have changed. And But also, no, we were all biting each other to get our way. And it's so nice now to be with uh, a younger generation and go, oh, we can be kind and still get as much done. How does it work? Is it the same dynamic that you experienced when, when you were a, a young guy coming up that you have an idea you have a concept, but maybe you're not. Uh, maybe you're not sure you should let the group know about it and put it out there. Um, well, you know, we would have to fight our way. Ideas would have to fight our their way into our show. But ever so often, the guys would just let you have one. I'd say, "Oh no, I'm going to come out and dance with a drum machine, and when it stops, I'm going to say something weird." <laughs> say, "Okay, try that." You know, it's not like Saturday Night Live or something where you have to explain your ideas and they go through, you know, a thousand sets of eyes. I think often some of the best stuff is just, ah, oh, just let me do it. I think it's going to work. And I try to do that with the tall boys and the kids in the hall, you know, even in our uh, series that was on Amazon last, you know, this year, uh, same thing. Whether it's sketch comedy or, or whether it's improv comedy, the best I think is always character driven. Is it hard, do you think, for young guys 
to resist the urge to, to go for the joke and, and to try to immediately find the humor rather than have it come organically through those characters and their situations? Well, I, I think so. I mean, you know, often things, things that are written sound funny and then you put them on stage and they're not so funny. Mm. And often even directing something or whatever, the joke isn't the thing that gets the big laugh. It's the person going, huh? <laughs> you know, in reaction to something. So it's it's very complicated. But I do think, um, I think funny lines, you know, are something that we often don't have many of. Like sometimes there's jokes in our things or my Gavin's all jokes or whatever. But it's like, you know, we have often pieces that have no jokes, which is a, a kind of a weird thing. Now, when you started in college, am I right that you began as a, a business major? You're going to be out there slaying the business world? Yeah. I got 20% <laughs> the first season so I, I, or my first year, and then I found journalism. But it's like I think that's why my obsession with businessmen who are, you know, ch- exchanging business cards and doing nothing came from that time <laughs> when I went to college and failed miserably. I think we talked about this a little bit with you last time, but but all of you and, and kids in the hall had, uh, we can safely say, some challenging relationships with, with their fathers. How did that impact your approach to fatherhood? Well, you know, I, I, I thought, because my dad was sort of a drunk salesman, that, you know, if I was just a, a, a nice father who went to work and did shows and stuff, that my kids would be ridiculously happy. And of course, that's not the case. <laughs> there, they have their own weirdnesses as well. Um, but uh, it made me, of course, want to have a family that was better than the, the crappy one I crawled out of. We uh, were just watching before we uh, called you up some of the great things that are out there on your YouTube channel. Is is that a fairly new development? That channel? Yeah, I just put it up last week. When I when I hang up from you, I'm going to record some some weird facts about the kids in the hall and put them up there. So yeah, I'm you know, and I'm out there. Uh, I'm wearing pajamas now as well. I'm out there. I'm putting little pajamas, Mr. Pajamas, on TikTok for. And I ran into a, an old woman the other day who said, oh, it's Mr. Pajamas. And then she didn't know the kids in the hall. She just knew Mr. Pajamas. So I thought, oh, that's cool. I, I Yes, I, I've been watching uh, a, a lot of the Mr. Pajamas, the, the, uh, the, the, one, uh, the one with the old lady that was relieved that at least you weren't naked. Yes, of course. <laughs> and I love that we went to Loblaws for two hours with my um, colleague, and we're shooting things, and I'm picking up grapefruits and trying to juggle them and stuff. And nobody, I'm in my pajamas, and no one says anything. I love the modern world. Uh, Ennui Santa is a wonderful character, too. <laughs> yeah, that was that. What kind of Christmas were you going to have? We're going to have Ennui this Christmas. You know, we don't have money for a lot of gifts. It's going to be Ennui Santa. <laughs> the uh, the new episodes, of course, were, were so great. Uh, the reception was was fantastic from everybody. Um did that, did that scratch the itch for you guys? Like, okay, we did that. We don't need to do anything like that again right away. Well, first of all, we, were, we started saying, oh, wow, it's so great. We've got great reviews. And then we started saying, where are all the bad reviews? We don't trust any situation <laughs> where we're not. There's no backlash. Um, you know, we're discussing whether we're going to do some more or not. We want to, you know, eventually tour. You'll have to settle for ones of us in your various cities. Um, but you know, it brought us back together in a way and we're, we're talking about doing a bunch of stuff, but we haven't pulled the trigger on another season. yet. Does Amazon want more? Um, they do. And we're discussing, we may do a special or two. Um, we don't, you know, it's all about getting those 
five chickens in the sack at the same time. So <laughs> we're actually discussing that later today. Ooh. Is there ever been any talk, uh, you mentioned, you know, you guys going back out on tour, uh, of doing like a, uh, as, and you, then you just mentioned specials, doing a recording of one of your live shows as a special? Yeah, I think that's something we'd like to do, you know, I because I think we do some pretty good live shows. We haven't toured for a while. We're not going to tour for at least a year. But I do think that that's one of the things we really want to um, mm. put down uh, before we put down our girdles and our dresses. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking with Bruce McCullough here on Downtown. Tales of Bravery and Stupidity comes to the Wilbur in Boston on March 16th. Of all the things that you do... Uh, is it is it writing or is it being out there on stage connecting to the audience that you love best? Oh you no, know, it's this. You know, I like I like directing. You know, I did some Shit's Creek last year, mm. two two years ago now. It's fun. Uh, Tall Boys is fun to direct. But the thing I started doing and the thing that is the 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 sweetest to me is being on stage with people and telling stories and connecting with them. So it's definitely this. Where does that storytelling gene come from? Well, your dad was a, was a pretty good storyteller, wasn't he? I think he was. Like, he was a, a traveling salesman and a boozer in equal amounts. And for him, telling funny stories was like a real thing. And so also, you know, I get myself in weird situations. My wife says I do it for the material, which is, you know, better than saying I'm an a-hole. Um, and I, I, I do feel like this life is a quest for interesting stories. And yeah, maybe I got that from my dad, but I, I, I do, you know, and I've done some storytelling with the Moth series, mm. uh, which, uh, you know, and it's traveled around with that. And it's really nice to just tell people stories and have them connect with it. I went back and listened to Shame-Based Man last night. Will there be another Bruce McCullough album down the road? Yeah, I am. This summer, I'm, I'm putting out, a, I'm going to uh, record a record. You know, I did a little bit of music for the Amazon series. I'm doing some music in the show, some new music. And so, yeah, that's something I plan to do this summer. So I don't know what it's going to be called yet, but it will be out there. And did I see that eventually Tales of Bravery and Stupidity may become a book? It will, and I will eventually shoot it as a special, but I want to I want to tour it to all the great cities like Chicago and Boston uh, of America, and then I will, I will do that. But, yeah, that's going to be my next book. Do you enjoy going on the road as, as much as you did when you were – 20, 30 years younger. Yeah, well, you know what it is. I, you know, it's, when you look at, not to be serious, people like Norm MacDonald or Gord Downey of the Tragically Hip who are no longer with us, mm. you know, that's put a fire under me to go, you know what? I am still really good. Let's get out there and connect with people, you know, not while we still can, but, I, you know, I feel a lot of life force still. And, you know, I think the reaction to the new episodes was that, well, pretty universal. I didn't see any of those bad reviews either that you guys were at the top of your game, but because you allowed yourselves to age and, and to be those characters, but 20, 30 years later. And, and again, it goes back to that idea of character driven comedy, which ages much better than something topical. Yeah, no, my Gordon is now, you know, which is a character I do with mm. Scott is now, you know, <laughs> 60, as am I. And, of course, I wrote 60 and on the pole, which is kind of what we are. <laughs> we're, we're still got our old bodies out there, but we're still rocking and still a little bit kind of sexy. So, yeah, no, we're, I think, processing the world around us, at, which is, of course, is ourselves, 
is something I've always done and something the troops always done, which I think is important. See, I don't, I don't think Fran aged. I just sort of held right there. No, and I had to I had to do some heavy weightlifting. Like I had to back squat <laughs> two hundred pounds because I knew I was going to be lifting Scott Thompson over the threshold <laughs> in the sketch we did. So I I trained for that, and uh, thank you, Scott. And you know he wears one eighty five. You know I weigh one sixty five. So this isn't fair. Well, no, no, not at all. Well, uh, we love the new work you're doing. Uh, looking forward to the show, Tales of Bravery and Stupidity, March 16th at the Wilbur. Bruce, it is wonderful to catch up with you again. We appreciate you making a little time for us and uh, wish you much success out there on the road. Well, thank you, and I, I appreciate your interest in a, in a very weird little old man. <laughs> well, I, as a fellow weird little old man, I'm happy to be a member of that club. Yes. Well, we'll talk to you anytime. Thank you so much. Well, he is so good, so fun to talk with. That is a Bruce McCullough out on the Bravery and Stupidity Tour. We do a chunk of that every day on our radio show. When we come back, after this word from Cross Insurance, Mr. Super 70 Sports, Ricky Cobb, talks about an exciting new project next on Downtown. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Oh yeah. Our next guest on downtown is Ricky Cobb. He is the super genius behind Super 70 Sports. The great Twitter sites, podcast, and so much more. And now he's partnered up with Jimmy Kimmel's production company for a brand new show that uh, just rolled out earlier this week, the Super Maximum Retro Show. We talked about all that and more with Ricky Cobb here on Downtown. Rich, thank you so much for having me on. It is always a pleasure. Great to have you back with us. And, uh, boy, some big things happening in in your world. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the Super Maximum Retro Show? Yeah, it's so much fun to finally be able to talk about it. Uh, We have a television show that is inspired by my Twitter feed that will be debuting on Vice on Tuesday, March the 7th at 10 o'clock Eastern time. So I couldn't be more thrilled about it. It's It's a dream come true and I hope that people will enjoy it as much as we've enjoyed making the uh, first season of episodes. That's fantastic. And so what what's the general feel of the show? The general feel of the show, uh, the set, it, it looks like a basement from the, the 70s or 80s <laughs> with Barca loungers and uh, uh, what looks like a giant old school tube uh, television design. And uh, the, the feel should be that you're sitting around with your buddies uh, watching the kind of content that you would see on the Super 70s feed, whether that's uh, interesting or funny photos or uh, humorous videos and uh, some very, very funny comedians 
uh, led by Chris DiStefano, who is the host and I think is one of the funniest up-and-coming comics in America and a a variety of of some really talented, funny guests who uh, get to react to to this material and, uh, you know, it really creates for a very hilarious uh, back-and-forth conversation with some uh, pretty witty people. All right. If it's if it's a great '70s basement, I, I hope there's room to uh, move the furniture off the floor a little bit, uh, slide them off the rug, and and set up my electric football game there. <laughs> Absolutely. We we, we got to plug that in and make sure that the dog doesn't come by and <laughs> uh, t- try to eat the foam football or or anything about that. I would say the uh, you know pr- pretty much the only thing we're missing is the shag carpet. Uh, but that's just because we didn't want to uh, be stepping on Legos and Hot Wheels uh, while we were taping the show. That's a pretty good idea right there. So how did you end up getting together with Jimmy Kimmel and his production company? Uh, Jimmy uh, has been a, a follower of uh, Super 70s for, for quite a while. And uh, a few years ago, Jimmy reached out to me and uh, gave me a little bit of encouragement, which... As you can imagine, when you're you're in the position that I've been in, creating a lot of content and trying to trying to grow your brand and, and trying to reach people with with what you do, it's it, you know certainly a moment of a, a lot of encouragement when when a guy the the caliber of Jimmy Kimmel uh, reaches out to you and, and tells you that he enjoys what you're doing. And uh, it wasn't too long after that that uh, Jimmy had the president of his production company, Kimmelot. Uh, a guy named Scott Walker, who is a who's a wonderful guy, uh, and uh, he reached out to me and said, you know, basically Jimmy, Jimmy wants to see if there's a possibility that we could collaborate uh, on something. And over the course of time, that collaboration uh, eventually became the Super Maximum Retro Show, and uh, you know, it's, it couldn't be uh, more happy to be working with Jimmy and, and his production company. It's a great team that they have and a great honor. That's fantastic. Well, so happy for you and can't wait to see the show starting uh, on March 7th. Now, our, our mutual friend Josh Carp was on with us a while back, and, and he said uh, <laughs> you two also working on a number of other projects, including an animated show that he told us a little about that sounds amazing. We, uh, we are. And uh, Josh, in fact, I was uh, just uh, re- reading a text from Josh shortly before uh, – <laughs> coming on uh, the air with you and of course uh josh is an incredible pleasure to work with and we have an animated uh series in the works that he and i have been collaborating on with jim dotrieve who is one of the co-creators of bob's burgers uh for anyone among mm. your listeners who enjoys that that particular show um and so we've got something that's pretty good i can't really uh, get into the details on that one uh, today, but it's uh, something that I think certainly is going to scratch uh, a little bit of a nostalgia uh, itch as well. If I'm involved in it, there's probably going to be some 70s and 80s influence in there somewhere. So uh, uh, hopefully that's something that uh, in the coming months uh, we'll be able to uh, 
put out there to the public and people can learn more about that one as well. But uh, a, a lot of fun working with Josh always. Well, that's awesome. Well, it's Super 70 Sports, the best, absolute best follow out there on Twitter. But Twitter has been, as you know, uh, well, been a little different, been a little shaky at times lately. Has, uh, has the change or the series of changes at Twitter impacted you at all? No, I, I can't say uh, that they have. I mean, obviously, I'm watching every development <laughs> over the course of uh, the past months with uh, as much interest as anyone since it really is my platform. And obviously, I have a lot invested in it in terms of pretty much everything that I'm working on because whether you're working on a television project or whether you're you're working on a on a book, which is a, which is another project that that Josh and I kind of have on the back burner right now, but something that we would both like to see uh, come out into the world, which is the the Super Seventy Sports book, whatever that looks like. Uh, but but all of those things feed off of Twitter, and certainly that's the bread and butter of what I do. And and job one for me every day is to get up and try to come up with uh, a couple dozen things that will entertain people. So uh, I'm I'm heartened that uh, things look like they're going pretty well at Twitter. And, uh, you know, certainly the health of Twitter, no matter, no matter who's in charge at Twitter, uh, I'm a fan of Twitter. So um, Elon Musk has all of my support because uh, (laughs) what's, what's good for Twitter is, is, is good for me. And the podcast is still going great guns as well. Enjoying that a lot. We've, I think gotten somewhere in the neighborhood of around 22 episodes, maybe more than that at this point, um, of the new Super 70 Sports Show, which is myself and my my wonderful sidekick, the great Ronnie T-Shirts, uh, joins me on every episode, and uh, we we talk about sports, we talk about pop culture, we talk about whatever interesting is going on in the news, uh, uh, other than politics. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about darn near anything, both current and past. And it's just a couple of, couple of 50 ish middle-aged guys, uh, you know, talking about the world and it's, it's always a lot of fun. So is this all going so well now that you, uh, are you still teaching or have you been able to give that up? I am still teaching. This is my 20th year at, um, at my college and, I am uh, I'm making no official proclamations of any kind, but I, I think that we're I think that we are nearing the finish line if for no other reason than I'm so busy now <laughs> that it becomes increasingly uh, difficult to juggle all the balls that I have in the air. And um, when, when something has to give, which I think is going to be the case probably sooner rather than later in the big picture, um, yeah, I think it'll probably be moving full time into trying to make people laugh and that kind of thing. But it's it, it's been a good run, and whether this is the last year or or, or just nearing the end, but <laughs> not that close, uh, we'll see. But uh, but yeah, it, it, Super Seventies is getting to a point now where it's it's challenging just to manage all of the demands related to that, much less uh, another career. Yeah, I don't know how you do it. Ricky Cobb of Super 70 Sports with us uh, here on Downtown. Well, over the years, Ricky, who is is there one athlete that uh, gets the biggest reaction whenever you post anything about them? 
Wow. You know, being completely honest with you, I've probably gotten more mileage from Larry Bird (laughs) than than anybody else. Now, there's a... There's a list of, of, of distinction. Earl Campbell, Ken Stabler, uh, those guys are certainly staples. I've uh, I've put the needle into OJ certainly many times, <laughs> but that's a little bit different uh, than the way that I handle the, the vast majority of uh, people that I tweet about. Pete Rose is always one that uh, will get a rise out of people, although. Uh, Certainly with Pete, it's it's a far different thing than Larry Bird because uh, Larry Bird's popularity rating is a lot closer to unanimous than uh, <laughs> than Pete's is. But, uh, but, but you'll get reactions uh, with some people for sure. So when, uh, when I'm ha- maybe having a slow day creatively and I think it's time to get a tweet out that's going to get a few hundred retweets and a few thousand likes, there are a there are a handful of candidates. Nolan Ryan would be another one as well he, uh, that I would put on that short list. People, people seem to respond to that, and I think it's largely because there are so many ridiculous Nolan Ryan statistics that uh, it kind of blows people's minds sometimes, so they, they get shared a lot. And if you've got a, a favorite figure from the 70s, it could be sports, could be the world of entertainment, uh, just, who is it that when you uh, – when you haul out their picture and say, "Well, I'm putting this up today," that you just you just smile because they always make you smile. Well, that that might be Linda Carter. Well, uh, yep, Rich, that'll do know, it. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I do like to have a Linda Carter break now and again, as uh, a lot of my followers know. Uh, one of the most strikingly beautiful human beings to to ever walk the planet. So, uh, Linda Carter tweets are, are always pretty nice. But I would say from a from a personal level in terms of uh, who I've admired and who's been an important figure in my life, I, I would probably have to go with Muhammad Ali as, uh, as the one that for me uh, from the 70s uh, means the most. I was born and raised in Kentucky, and uh, so, so, so was he, and uh, probably just about everything else about our, our upbringing and experience diverged pretty pretty wildly from there but uh he's a guy that i got to meet when i was 20 years old oh, wow. it was uh it was one of those experiences that uh that, that you'll never forget you know uh he, he he was the ultimate for me when i was a kid we've lost some 70s icons just in in the last couple of days you posted earlier today uh, about the death of, of tim mccarver at 81 and and his career seems like a career that that only could have really kicked off in the 60s and 70s. Uh, you know, a guy from uh, the rural South who ended up befriending Bob Gibson and becoming such a terrific team, and then uh, going on to, to be a broadcaster. When when the expectations of broadcasters were very different, and McCarver was able to get by with that, that great humor and personality. Yeah, McCarver was the guy that I used to watch on satellite uh, back in the old days with the giant... Uh, NASA-style satellites that you used to put out in your yard. And back in the freewheeling days when things weren't scrambled yet, I used to watch Tim McCarver uh, on WOR in, in New York and uh, when he was just doing regional stuff. And then, of course, he, he became one of the most prominent national announcers of, of certainly my lifetime and a sad day. I remember seeing Tim McCarver's uh, baseball card in the uh, – 
late 1970s and being fascinated by the 20 lines of the tiniest font uh, <laughs> possible. You needed a microscope to, to look at his career batting record on the back of his last couple of tops cards. And, uh, you know, my first, that was really my first impression of Tim McCarver. I thought he was Methuselah, you know, and he was, <laughs> he was probably 38 years old, but it's certainly a, certainly a loss for, for those of us that have grown up listening to him in the booth. And then yesterday, uh, the passing of the iconic Raquel Welch. Yeah, that one hit me hard. I uh, I had just tweeted about her uh, the day the day prior, and that's really not that unusual of a coincidence because uh, she does turn up in the timeline periodically, and that's certainly not going to change. Uh, but uh, very sad, and, and I think sometimes too, you know, you you just pause when you see how old these folks were. McCarver was 81, I believe, and Raquel was 82. And <laughs> you think to yourself, wow, how is that, how is that possible? But uh, certainly one of the sad things uh, about being the, the, the 70s guy is as the wheels of time move forward, uh, uh, we, we, lose a, a, we lose a lot of these folks. But I hope that the account, in addition to being funny, is uh, a place where uh, a lot of these people will always be remembered and, and appreciated for, for their contributions to American culture. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, we uh, we talked to a lot of those figures from the 70s uh, here on our show. And uh, yeah, you forget because they're in your mind, they're sort of locked in where they were age wise when you first saw them on TV all those years ago. And then you say, Mike Farrell's 84 now. Good God. How did that happen? Yeah, it's uh, obviously it makes all the sense in the, in the world when I when I look in the mirror and realize that I'm 51 and I was watching this guy on Mash when I was in third grade. Uh, you, you know, you can you can certainly make that connection, but it's still just uh, amazing how the years how the years pile up on us and a lot of these a, a lot of these people who were really icons uh, of the 70s and 80s we. I think every every time we see an obituary come across the wire, we should, you know, remember to appreciate uh, these people while they're still with us. So, Ricky, what is it about that decade that that makes it uh, ripe for uh, not only celebration but also parody and fun and and the, the great humor that you have uh, on the website? It's an interesting it's an interesting period on the. Space-time continuum, <laughs> the, the 70s. I I started out just, well, I liked it. I grew up then, and it really registered with me, and I, I never would have imagined, as I've said in, in countless interviews over these past years, I, I never imagined that it was going to turn into a thing. I could have never imagined that I would have over 700,000 followers. I remember when I was adding about 10 to 12 new followers a day and I was incredulous that I had, that I had reached a thousand and I was incredulous that I had reached 2000, 3000. That seemed like so many followers to me at the time. Uh, and obviously I tapped into something that's pretty powerful, uh, bringing people back to their childhoods and remembering a lot of the little things that, sometimes sort of fade away from our, our memories, but that uh, I'm reminding people of on a, on a regular basis. So 
Uh, you know, I hope uh, to the extent that 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 a Twitter feed has uh, any impact in the world, whatever marginal uh, slight amount around the edges that might be. I hope that it's positive. I hope that it makes people feel good. But the seventies were a we we had some technology, but we hadn't we hadn't gotten so far that we had given ourselves so much convenience that we can really kind of just detach uh, in a way today that I don't think was possible back then. And I think that's part of it. I think part of it is rather than having thousands and thousands of (laughs) options of what to watch on TV and, you know, there are more, there are many, many more platforms now than there were channels. When I was a kid, I remember before basic cable, so I know what it's like to have four or five channels and you would watch programs and go to school the next day or go to work the next day if you were an adult, in my case, school, and you'd talk about what you watched. And probably there was a pretty good chance that your friends or your coworkers had watched the same stuff because we basically had three things to pick from. So <laughs> it, was a, it was a different time in terms of community, I, I think, and that's part of it. I, when someone comes along years from now to try to be the, uh, the super 20s, sports guy, um, I'm not sure that the collective experiences will will land quite the same way, but uh, that'll be for time to tell. No, because look, if there's one thing that that all right-thinking people can agree on, Jim Rockford was the greatest private investigator of all time. You are speaking straight (laughs) facts today, Rich. Uh, (laughs) Preach, as as they say. Absolutely, he was, and with with all uh, with all love and affection to uh, Lieutenant Colombo, uh, I'm a Jim Rockford guy. But uh, but but those shows from that period, it was a, every other show was a cop show. And, um, they were they were all good, and I, I look back on that era with a lot of fondness. And uh, from TV to movies to just the aesthetic of the era. It was just an interesting looking time. Photos of the seventies usually scream, Hey, I'm the seventies, whether that's uh, a tube socks to your knees or uh, a, a bad haircut that looks like your mom put a bowl on your head. Or It might just be that. Green. It might be the picture of that powder blue tux I wore to my senior prom. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Especially if you had the ruffles. Oh, you got to have the ruffles, of course. Yeah, powder blue and ruffles now. <laughs> you know, and why can't we bring that back? That's that's been another one of my that's been another one of my things. Some people look at the 70s and they say, "Why did we ever do that?" I look at the 70s and I say, "Why can't we do that again?" So, it's just a matter of it's a matter of philosophy. I'm all in favor of that. Well, Ricky, it's a great to talk with you. Uh, as always, I love the work that you do, a Super 70 Sports and the whole Super 70 Sports universe. We're glad to see it grow. Can't wait for the Super Maximum Retro Show coming to Vice on March 7th. Uh, we wish you continued success, Ricky. Thanks so much for visiting with us today. Rich, thank you so much for having me on. Always a pleasure to talk to the good people of Maine. That is Ricky Cobb. Super 70 Sports Super Maximum Retro Show on Vice TV. Our thanks to Ricky and thanks to the wonderful Bruce McCullough and, of course, to you for visiting with us this week. For Kerry Haskell, I'm Rich Kimball. We'll see you next time on Downtown the Podcast.